Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever felt like there was no one else around? The holiday season, unfortunately, is probably one of the most common times where people feel alone. You go, really? Yeah. For those people who have no family or no friends or who are distant from their family or their friends, all they feel is loneliness. And even sometimes in the craziness and hecticness of life, you feel alone. I'm sure all of us at some point in our lives have said, I feel lonely. There's people around me. There's things going on. But I feel like I am here by myself. I want to talk about that this morning and tell you the truth that we are not alone. Jesus very clearly talks about this when he says, I am not alone. We're going to be in John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 32. I'm going to be using a couple of different passages this morning. Don't feel like you have to turn to every single one. Most of them are going to be your homework for this week, so you'll get to see them at the end of the message. So if you miss one, it's okay. You'll get to see it at the end of the service for your homework, and you'll get to read it a little bit more this week. Just keep a finger or a bookmark in chapter 16, verse 32 of John. That's going to be one of the main places that we focus. Let me start in verse 31. You believe at last, Jesus answered, but as time is coming when you will be scattered, each to his own home, you will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Jesus says, you will leave me, referring to the disciples, yet I am not alone. How does he know that he is not alone. He knows that the comfort of the Heavenly Father would be with him in everything he did, in everything he would say, in every miracle he would perform, in every message he would give. The Heavenly Father was right there with him. One of the greatest examples of that is when Jesus is being baptized. What happens? We have Jesus coming out of the water and God the Father speaks. In one of those few brief instances when Jesus is on the earth, God the Father speaks directly and says that he is there and that this was his son. Jesus was not alone. What does that bring to Jesus The first C word that I want to give to you this morning is comfort. It brings comfort to Jesus. Jesus, when he's on the cross, what does Jesus on the cross say? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that one instance, that one moment when all the sins of the world fall upon Jesus, God must 
abandon him for that moment. Because God can have nothing to do with sin. And the only time Jesus would ever feel loneliness and truly feel like there was nothing else around him was when he was on the cross. When he turns to the Heavenly Father and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is it that I am here on this cross? Why is it that you are leaving me? Jesus obviously knows the answer to the question. He knows the reason why his Heavenly Father has to go. But it's the first time in his life where he will ever experience being alone. Think about it. Jesus, before he comes to earth, is in a place surrounded by the Heavenly Father. He comes to earth. Everything he does, the Heavenly Father walks with him and goes with him. And it's all he has ever known. And he experiences that true loneliness on the cross when he says, Why have you forsaken me? But that's not the end of the story. God did not abandon Jesus on the cross. God did not walk away from his son and say, That's it, we're done, we're over. End of story. For if he did, what we believe is really nothing. What we believe is a man who came and did some incredible things and died. And the reality is, We're no better than any other religion. Because for me, what defines the reality of who Jesus Christ was, that not only did he die for our sins on the cross, but that on three days he was triumphant to be raised again. He did not stay in the grave. He could not stay. Sin sin could not contain him in the grave. We talked about it on Christmas Eve for just a brief second when we talked about the purpose for why Jesus is born in Bethlehem and ultimately where that would lead him to, his death on the cross. The reality being that Jesus' death on the cross was not enough. He needed to conquer sin and death once and for all, like it said in Genesis. He needed to rise from the grave and conquer the enemy. To put sin and death back where it belonged underneath his control to be the permanent sacrifice for all humanity no matter what happened before or after Christ was now that perfect sacrifice we have a comforter we have a comforter who is with us when Jesus leaves his disciples are are concerned. They, they, they struggle with this idea of what's going to happen when you leave? What's the, what is the purpose of you leaving? And Jesus says to them, I will send to you a comforter. I will send one to you who will be with you to the ends of the age. We have that comforter living inside of us if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. He is there with us as we live out our lives. He is the comforter for us when we are in sorrow, when we are in mourning, when we are feeling afraid, when we are feeling alone, when we are feeling ashamed, when we feel guilt. 
the Holy Spirit, for those of us that have believed, lives inside of us. And he ministers to the Heavenly Father. One of the, I don't remember exactly where it is right this moment, but in the scripture it says that the Holy Spirit ministers in words that are unspeakable to the Heavenly Father as we pray. As we pray, he speaks in groans that, are, that we would not even be able to understand, lifting up our request to the Heavenly Father on our behalf. Our comforter. The one who is with us. Our second C this morning is courage. After Jesus receives comfort from the Heavenly Father, it gives him courage to go out and do the ministry. Now, I sometimes think about the ministry that Jesus does throughout his life. And we don't know exactly when Jesus' ministry occurred. We make educated guesses, you know, probably three years between the ages of 27 and 30 or 30 and 33 or somewhere between those numbers. But the reality is, how does he perform those things? How does he go out knowing that he can do those miracles? How does he go to Canaan? How does he go to the people of the Decapolis? How does he heal the blind man? How does he raise Lazarus? He does it because he has the courage to know that the Heavenly Father is with him. As I live out my life, the only reason I I believe that I have the courage to do some of the things that I do, to stand up here on a Sunday morning, to go out and share the word of God that I know with those who are around me, is because I know that the Holy Spirit is living within my life, and he gives me that courage. He gives me the ability to know things, to understand things at a level that I don't think I would ever be able to understand on my own. He gives me the courage to share with someone about the word of God, with the story of Jesus, with the great news of what is going on. Courage. Jesus had courage as he approached the cross, but he struggled with fear. Do you remember Jesus, as he's sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus is all by himself, and he's got two other groups. He's got the nine disciples and the three disciples. And he tells them to pray. He says, you guys pray for me. And what happens? They go to sleep. They fall asleep. And Jesus is there. And his prayers are so full of just utter reaching out to God that he, the scripture says that there are tears of blood that come out. And he says to the Heavenly Father, can this cup be taken away? Will you take this cup that is to be passed to me away? Do you not think in that moment he is struggling with fear? anxiety, we're struggling with what's going to happen next. I know your perfect plan. I know what you have in store for me, but I'm not sure that I can do this. 
And in a moment, the Heavenly Father says to him, You are my perfect son. And as he said on that day, when Jesus came up out of the water, in whom I am well pleased. And in that moment, Jesus realizes that he has been given the courage to go to the cross for the sins of the world. He realizes that if he doesn't, there's nobody else who can ever do it. He's the only person in all of humanity who's lived a perfect life, that can be the perfect atonement, that can be the perfect sacrifice. Go to the cross once and for all and be that sacrificial lamb. He's the only person. None of us could ever do it. None of us would be able to live our lives in that manner. But he could. He could go to the cross once and for all and defeat the enemy. And so, with courage, he surrendered himself. He said, I submit. I willingly go. One of my favorite stories as a kid is the story of Jesus in the garden as the soldiers are coming to get to him. And we see the basic human reaction out of the disciples. As the guards come for Jesus... They reach for their weapons. They reach for their swords and they say, we will defend you at all costs. We will protect you from these people. And Jesus says to them, no. Do you not think that I could call legions of angels to protect me? Stand down. One of my favorite things as a kid was to think about the idea of Peter in his rash moment, swinging that sword and cutting off the ear of one of the men who have come to arrest Jesus. And the utter chaos, I'm absolutely sure, must have ensued when that happened. Because I'm sure the group who have come to arrest Jesus are angry, frustrated now, and they want blood. They want to get revenge. And Jesus, in a simple act, reaches down picks up that ear and puts it back on the man and says, I willingly go. I could choose not to go, but I willingly surrender myself. Jesus is standing in front of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the high priest Caiaphas. And the scriptures differ on what he says exactly. Some of the scriptures have it that he's silent the whole time. Some of the scriptures have it say, saying that he says, only a few things. The only thing that Jesus has ever recorded is possibly saying is, I am the I am. And for the Jewish people, it would have been utter blasphemy to say that. Absolute blasphemy. Because the word that he would have used is the word that no Jewish person was ever allowed to speak out loud. And even to write it, you only wrote the consonants and you never wrote the vowels. Even to this day, when Jewish people write out the word God, they write G space D. They will not write the full name of God because they see it as being disrespectful. And he says in that moment, that one true name of God, And immediately they turn and they say, that's it, we're done. We have our reasons, we can kill him. 
Jesus had the courage to go to the cross. He had the courage in the moment to stand up and to say, I am the I am. I am the Son of God. I am the one who was sent, who was prophesied about for thousands of years. I am the one who was sent. Send me to the cross, but I am the one who was sent. He had the courage in the moment to be there. And even as Jesus is on the cross, struggling through the idea that God has, is going to have to leave him and struggling through how to take care of his family and, and struggling through the, the ideas of what is going on around him, he has the courage to stay on the cross. For we know, and Jesus even makes this comment, he could have called legions of angels to come and take him off that cross and take him to glorious battle and glorious victory if that's the purpose that the king was supposed to have. That's certainly what the disciples were looking for. When the disciples were looking for the Messiah, they thought the Messiah was going to be this great emperor who was going to free them from the Romans. They thought the Messiah was one who was going to come in victory and power and overthrow the Romans, free them from the oppression. But the Messiah was one who was going to come like a small lamb born in a manger who would ultimately go quietly to the cross and be that sacrificial lamb. The final word this morning is conquest. And I don't mean conquest in the idea of conquest of winning a battle. Although Jesus did win the battle, he did win the war by going to the cross. I don't mean a conquest, though, by a military battle. So understand it as I use that word. Conquest does not mean a military or strategic idea, but it means a conquest in the idea of God conquered the enemy once and for all. He was ultimately victorious. He was ultimately the one who would take the power back from the enemy. He was ultimately the one who was going to be able to defeat Satan. We read about that in the book of Revelation as Jesus is the king who comes and conquers. But Jesus in the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is a different king. He's not an earthly king but rather a king who is foretelling of something else. One of the interesting things is, as Pontius Pilate takes Jesus to the cross, he's thinking about what to put on the top of the cross. And the people who are next to Jesus on his right or his left have a sign above their cross that says, Thief. And I can't remember what the other guy was right now. But it says what they did. And what does it say above the cross where Jesus is. King of the Jews. Pontius Pilate realized something in that moment when he had that made about the destiny of this person he was sending to the cross. He realized something greater that no one else realized. And maybe it's because of his wife. We see that in scripture. His wife has a vision and comes to Pontius Pilate and says to him, um, you shouldn't send this guy to the cross. 
Absolutely not. This guy has done nothing wrong. Do not do this. So Pontius Pilate, he's a classic politician. He goes, what's the lesser of two evils? We're going to try murderer, killer versus Jesus. Barnabas versus Jesus. This is a sure win. I've absolutely got this in the bag. Barnabas, nobody likes. Jesus, well, they kind of don't like. But they're going to choose to let Jesus go. The Pharisees rile up the crowd and they choose the convicted killer over the man who had done nothing. They say, free him rather than free Jesus. Pontius Pilate, go, Pontius Pilate goes, <laughs> that didn't work. Uh, what do I try now? He says, fine. You guys are responsible. He turns to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he says to the crowd, then you are ultimately responsible for the blood of this man. I will sign the permission for you to kill him because at that time in Jerusalem or in all of Israel basically, the only way a man could be executed or a woman or any person could be executed was by decree of the emperor Pontius Pilate. Nobody else could kill somebody Pontius Pilate says, fine, I'll sign it, but you wrote the document, you are the ones who are ultimately responsible for why this is happening. And so Jesus goes to the cross, but he's not alone. He is not alone. We're going to turn to a couple of other passages that I want to show you here for a moment. You can turn in your Bibles to... Uh, Hebrews 13.5, I'm going to read a, a verse from there, and then I'm going to turn to uh, Romans in just a moment. Hebrews 13.5 says, keep your, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The other passage is Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither, pre neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love that the Heavenly Father has for us, nothing can separate us from that love. Nothing can separate us from that love. Neither height nor death, neither angels or demons, the present, the future, or any powers, life or death, none of these can separate us from the love that God has for each and every one of us. One of the first passages I ever remember memorizing, and it's a passage that we all know, John 3.16, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The love of the Heavenly Father, 
was so much that he was willing to send his only son for us. For us. And that love, that love that the Heavenly Father had, is passed on to us. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing, that can separate us from that love. If you leave with forgetting everything I said this morning, and only can remember one thing, remember that. Remember that nothing separates you from the love of God. Take that home with you. It's going to be in your homework so that you have it, in case you forget it this week, but it'll be there for you. It's going to be one of the passages that you're going to read this week as an encouragement for you. The other passage I'm going to turn to here real quick is from Psalm 139. And I'm going to read a couple of verses from this. You're going to, hopefully you'll read the whole chapter in your homework this week. Uh, If you can only read 10 or 11 verses, read the first 10 or 11 verses. But if you can read the whole chapter, I would encourage you to do that. It says this, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, there you are. If I make my bed in the depths, You are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. There's nowhere that we can go. There's nowhere that we can run to There's nowhere that we can find that it's absence from the presence of God here on earth. Jonah tried. Remember the story of Jonah? Jonah thought it would be really, really, really brilliant if God said to go to Nineveh to jump on a boat and go the opposite direction. So Jonah, in his infinite wisdom, jumps on his boat and he starts to sail off. And what happens? Nothing good. The minute he steps on that boat, that boat is already done for because he is living outside of the will of God and going against what God has told him to do. They get out onto the Mediterranean Sea and that boat starts a rocking. And it starts to take in water and it starts to go downhill very quickly captain of the boat comes to Jonah and he says, Jonah, I've checked with everybody else and we're all good. We're all good. We've done nothing wrong. We've prayed to our gods. We've tried everything we can try and this storm is keep on going. 
it's got to be you. Jonah goes, yeah, it's me. You got me. Uh, in my infinite wisdom, uh, let's try uh, making the boat lighter. Uh, you know what? In your infinite wisdom, making a boat lighter might sound great, but when you're struggling against God, making a boat lighter does nothing. And Jonah finally realizes, okay, throw me overboard. If I go down, maybe you'll be saved. If I'm willing to surrender my life, maybe God won't take yours as well. Captain of the boat coast. No, 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 no. We'll, we'll try. I'm sure they probably only tried for a few more minutes before they said, <laughs> Jonah, up here, you're over. You're out. They threw him overboard. And what happens? The storm stops. Poor old Jonah, though. He gets a nasty little ride in a whale for the next three days. You know, there's many trips that I've not been a fan of. Flying to Asia, 12 hours in a sardine can, I mean a plane, uh, is not fantastic. But I cannot imagine being in a whale for three days. That's worse than being packed into a train in the middle of Thailand at the middle of night wondering when we were going to make it to our stop. Or being in the middle of somewhere in Africa riding on a bus with people literally sitting on top of your laps going, I hope we make it to our stop. I hope we make it to our stop. But I'd trade all those to not, not have to ride in a whale for three days. If that wasn't bad enough, he gets to be vomited out at the end. You're home, Jonah. Welcome home. But Jonah listens. Took a little while. Took a little bit. Jonah thought he could get away. Jonah thought that if he headed the opposite direction, he could get away from the plan that God had for him. But Psalm 139 says that God is present everywhere. We can try and run, but his presence is there. His presence was on that boat. It would have been in Tarshish if he had made it to Tarshish. The presence of God was in that whale, and it was living evidently in Jonah's life when he began to proclaim the gospel in Nineveh. I think we all try to run every once in a while. And when we run, we feel alone. But I want to encourage you, even as we run, even as we try to get away from the plan that God has for us, and we start to feel alone, you're not alone. The Heavenly Father is still with you. You might be living outside of what God has said, but God is still with you, and he will bring you back. I hope it's not through the belly of a whale, but if it is, come tell me your story. I hope you'll listen before you get that far. 
I truly hope that you'll hear the voice of God, you'll hear the Spirit of God, and you will say, I will go. And he will be with you. For we are not alone. Even in our rebellion, even in our darkest fears, even in our, even whatever comes against us, we are not alone. We are not alone. I'm going to turn back to John chapter 16. If you want to turn back with me. Verse 32. I'm going to read it again. It says, But a time is coming, and has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home. He's talking about the disciples. They're going to be scattered, and we see that happen. You will leave me all alone. All those who had been with Jesus for however long it had been, whether it was three years or longer, we don't know. But all those who had been with Jesus on his earthly trip and had built relationships and friendships with him and had, he had mentored into their lives and shown them what it meant to live a Christ-like life, we're going to leave him alone. But Jesus was not alone. The Heavenly Father was with him. The Heavenly Father was with him in everything he did. My challenge for you this morning is that as you go out and as you struggle with loneliness or feeling afraid or struggling with the direction that God has for you, I want you to know that you are not alone. There is nowhere that you can go. There is nowhere that you can hide. There is nowhere that you can be that the presence of God cannot find you while you are on this earth. All you have to do is reach out. All you have to do is to listen. All you have to do is turn and say, Heavenly Father, I repent of the direction of which I've chosen on my own, and I return to the path that you have given to me. Maybe you're struggling with feeling alone. So this week, as you... Read the homework, and you guys can put it up there. As you do the homework, I hope this is a comfort for you. Monday is John chapter 16, verses 28 through 33, which is where we focused mostly this morning. Tuesday, I'm going to ask you if you can read all of Psalm 139. It's only, you think, 22, 23 verses. If that's too much, I don't know. This is the Word of God. We should be hiding it in our hearts each and every day. 24 verses to me doesn't seem like that much. If you can only do half of it in the morning and half of it at night, that's fine. Wednesday. We didn't get to Isaiah, but Isaiah 59 verses 1 through 8. Same concept. We're talking about the idea that we are not alone. Friday, Hebrews 13, 1 through 17. We talked about Hebrews verses 13, uh, 13 verse 5. I'm just giving you a little bit more of the passage so you can understand the context there of why we are not alone. Saturday, John 14, verses 15 through 21. John 14, 15 through 21 is where I want to talk about as I finish. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. 
for those of you that have accepted Christ as your Savior, this is a promise that is for you. This is a promise that you can hold on to and hold firmly on to for the rest of your life. No matter whether you feel afraid, whether you feel alone, whether you feel temptation, whether you feel whatever it is, this passage is for you. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will receive that I am in, the, in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys, him, obeys them, he is in the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. If you feel loneliness, shame, guilt, fear, come and seek the Holy Spirit. Come and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He is the comforter. He's better than any drug, therapy, or anything else that is ever out there that has been created by man. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. And he is available to you. And he will never leave. But will be with you even to the end forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, as we close, may we be reminded of what your word says. That when we feel loneliness, that we are not alone. That as Christians, we have the comfort of the Holy Spirit living within us, through us, and around us. That, Lord, His presence would be made known to us in everything that we do and we say. And we'll trust You. In Your name we pray. Amen.